Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome everyone to another podcast here, the Tennis Legends podcast uh, on Eurosport. I'm Mats Villander and uh, of course I am joined by my co-host and good friend Boris Becker, uh, straight from London. Boris, how is everything going uh, in London for you? Yeah, nice to see you again. Uh, uh, it's uh, slowly but surely getting better the loosening the lockdown uh, in a couple of days uh, we can go to restaurants and bars again uh, but uh, it's time you know it's been a long long winding road here <laughs> yeah boris well thank you so much for being uh, with us again and boris uh, we have a very very special guest a, a good friend uh, of both of us uh, a competitor uh, for both of us you have a very special relationship with this man and it is a former world number one uh, Wimbledon champion twice, six-time Grand Slam champion, a good friend of mine being Swedish, and it is Stefan Erdbeis. Stefan, thank you so much for being with uh, uh, me and Boris. First of all, how are you doing? Is everything going all right back in Sweden during these very stressful times? Well, it's a pleasure being in your program and obviously in Sweden we've been doing it a little bit different. It's been quite open, not the total lockdown, which we've heard about other countries. Uh, I've spent uh, time here in Sweden since the end of February, haven't really traveled anything. It's been okay, we, we managed well and um, we've done uh, the right thing. We've sort of stayed away from people, quarantined a little bit, uh, spent a lot of time here. So it's okay, but we all hope things will sort of turn back to somewhat normal again. And I think it will eventually. It's just going to take some time. Yeah, and of course, guys, we should be at Wimbledon. Uh, what is it that, Boris, you miss the most by not going back to Wimbledon? You called it your own uh, garden or your own house. What is it about Wimbledon that it's just so painful not being there? Well, it's a bit like Christmas, you know, imagine somebody takes Christmas away from you. Uh, not only in London, UK, all around the world, whoever loves tennis, you know, those first two weeks in July uh, uh, are very almost precious, almost holy. You know, the whole world comes together playing on the green grass uh, at SW19. And uh, yeah, I miss it. it. It's odd. I've been uh, doing this now for the last 36 years. I haven't missed one Wimbledon. And uh, the weekend uh, before, uh, it was weird of not getting ready for the championships. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I personally get nightmares, Boris, when I think of the two <laughs> weeks at Wimbledon. But uh, Stefan, for you, obviously, uh, you moved to uh, London when you were very young. Some of us went to Monte Carlo, Monaco. You moved to London. Uh, and uh, obviously, for you, Wimbledon must mean more than winning it a couple of times. But uh, again, for you, uh, what would have been your role should Wimbledon have happened this year? Because you've been very involved with Roger Federer over the years. Sure. Uh, we all miss Wimbledon. It's such a fantastic event and everybody wants to go there. And obviously, Wimbledon is very special to me and to all tennis players because it is what it is with all the tradition and, and the history. Uh, obviously, I, I used to live in London for 15, 16 years, so it was my second home. And uh, I would always spend the Swedish midsummers uh, back, uh, back in London, uh, which is a huge, pretty huge thing uh, here back in Sweden. So, so, so we really, really miss it in that way. And, um, you know, I, I haven't been there every year since, but uh, this year, yeah, obviously I would have been there. Got my daughter, Emily, who lives in London, so... Uh, that, that's always great to see her and we see all the, the friends, all the former players and, and usually I do some work uh, during Wimbledon too. Not coaching this time, but uh, there's always uh, things to do and I do a lot of things for Rolex during Wimbledon there. So it's, it's something that I really will miss. Were you surprised how early they cancelled Wimbledon this year? So April 1st, I thought it was April Fool's. Day uh, and it was a big joke, but it wasn't uh, that they cancelled the championship. Obviously, we were in the middle of this incredible uh, crisis. Uh, uh, I was a little bit uh, surprised. How about you? Uh, well, I feel the same. They took a pretty quick decision, but uh, I guess uh, they 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 always have a lot of thought. Uh, probably had a lot of meetings, and sometimes it's better to make it quick and. and and a good decision. I think it was a good decision because things were really escalating in, in England. So I think it was the right thing to do at the time. And that really felt uh, tough, uh, you know, just hearing the news, even if I did suspect that it would happen. But when it does happen, yeah, that was like, wow, this is serious. And um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, guys, I got to ask you, you guys uh, have uh, a trilogy of finals. You played each other in the finals in 1988, 89 and 90. Uh, Stefan, you came out on top in, uh, in two out of those three. You have mm -hmm. a, a pretty good head-to-head -head where I think Boris is ahead. What is it you guys both grew up uh, on clay courts in the summer in, in Germany and, of course, in Sweden for you, Stefan. And then, of course, we played on very, very fast indoor courts in, in both both Sweden and Germany. So you guys coming to Wimbledon, what was it that, that suited your game so well uh, about the grass? Uh, Boris, to start with you. Well, I mean, you weren't really a grass court specialist, we thought, but you became very quickly. Well, I think it's important that you mentioned that in all countries you play six months pretty much on, on lightning quick indoor carpet. And that is even quicker than Wimbledon. And I think my, my game suited that surface very well to serve and the, the power game and the volleys and just the quick points. And so for me, the, the change from clay, uh, uh, you know, during the clay court season to grass, it wasn't a big one. I felt quite natural. Also, the movement uh, wasn't a problem for me. And, and, uh, but I have to correct you. I actually have uh, played one more time, Stefan Edberg, in the mm -hmm. 1983 juniors in the first That's round good. where Stefan <laughs> won all four Grand Slams. And Stefan came out on top on that one as well. You remember the score, four and three. 
<laughs> I do remember that one. Yeah, not many people actually know about that. We did yeah. play in the juniors back in 1983. You're right there. I'm glad yeah, you remember. See? <laughs> yeah, well, Stefan, for you, uh, again, I don't mm. think people realize maybe that you grew up, of course, as a baseliner. You had a two-handed backhand. Uh, and uh, you famously have told me that the only reason you became a good volleyer was that your one-handed backhand was so bad early on in your career. And then suddenly <laughs> you find... Uh, grass, you won your first sure. Grand Slam title in 1985 uh, at Puyong on the grass. Uh, you beat me in the final pretty easily. Uh, and you took to Wimbledon uh, very quickly. So for you being quite a shy person, quite a shy competitor, uh, at least on the outside, how did you uh, get used to feeling at home at Wimbledon so quickly and so well? Um, well, it actually, to be honest, it took a little bit of time before me to, to sort of do really well at Wimbledon. Obviously, like you said, uh, said uh, back in 1985, my first Grand Slam title at Kuyong, that grass was a little bit different, a uh, different atmosphere. Um, so, so that's where I had my first success. And obviously, like you said, I grew up on clay, uh, but obviously I've always played very offensive and always liked to serve and volley, and that is very well suited for the grass, at least in the days uh, playing in Kuyong where the bounces were really bad on the outside court. So playing server volley, that would be an advantage. And, and coming to Wimbledon, I always felt that this is a, a tournament that I may at least get a chance to, to have a shot at winning. Um, but I think uh, you, Boros, showed the way back in 1985. That is incredible what you did in 85. And I think it's, it shocked the whole world and, and me and everybody else. I mean, to, to, to win it at 17 and coming from nowhere to win it, it was extraordinary. And obviously, I was, I was older than you. And I said, hey, if Boris can win at Wimbledon at this <laughs> age, certainly I can do it as well. So, so you gave me the lead. You gave me the lead. But uh, you, you must, I mean, I obviously prepared for, for that, that uh, interview, but you didn't really rub it in on the first question that Stefan beat me in mm. two out of three Wimbledon finals. I mean, so far I felt comfortable, but now my confidence is going down. <laughs> it should have yeah, been. Yeah, no, I can't imagine that. But, but while we're talking at winning very young, because obviously um, I was the youngest at the time winning uh, in the Roland Garros at uh, shy of 18. Boris, you won Wimbledon in 1985. Uh, Stefan, you won only at 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Today, do we see a possibility for somebody who's a teenager, especially in the men's side, can they win a Grand Slam? And of course, why can they not? Is there a difference in maturity between the three of us in our uh, uh, teenage years compared to the players of today, Stefan? Um, well, I think, um, yeah, we came through very early. I don't think that's going to happen as of today because the game has progressed. Uh, they're so different. Everybody's uh, sort of better trained, uh, more experienced, and it takes longer to, to get into the tour. So it's, it's a different environment. There is always a possibility, but I would find it really hard to see somebody young coming up winning at Wimbledon at 19 years of age. Um, but it can happen, but very unlikely the way I see it. Uh, you can just see at the average age of the top 100 players, the average age of top 10, uh, it just takes a lot longer to, to, to mature and, and uh, get to your peak, uh, 
We might have got to our peak around 24, 25, but today they get to the peak maybe even late to 27 to 30, uh, maybe even beyond that. So things have certainly changed from how it was when we played. And that's, remember, this is three decades ago, <laughs> 30 years ago. <laughs> But is it, is it because uh, the top players are better now than they were? Be careful what you're saying, because we are surrounded by the McEnroe and the Landels and, and you know, Mats and so forth. Or were the younger players then better than they are now? Because there's a great debate uh, why. And, and you know, we call 23-year-olds today still young generation, where we had our mm. first, first crisis, you know. You wanted 19, Mats, was 17, I was 17, yeah. and you had many others around, Michael Chang, one at 17. So it was kind of normal as a teenager to be at least in the final winning, where nowadays that's an impossibility. Um, yeah, you're quite right there. Um, the, you can always argue both ways. Yeah, maybe we were better at a younger age. I think also if we look back, uh, obviously tennis has changed from the 60s to the 70s. And if I remember right, I started in 1982 to play professional, and that's where the money really took off. The, the, the increase of price money during the 80s was dramatic and when you have more money you will have more competition there'll be more interest there'll be more players and uh, you know they'll be better trained they'll start uh, eating better so there was a transition when we played from the 80s into the 90s where everyone got better uh, trained and knew better about how to look after their bodies and suddenly you have your own trainers and your own physio with just at times, not everybody had back in the 80s, 90s, but if you look at today, you know, every, all the top players, they have big teams around them, you know, anything from nutrition and training and recovering. So it's, it's a different ball game today, I would say. Mm -hmm. Guys, how special is Wimbledon for, for both of you? Because obviously you are champions, uh, not only at Wimbledon, you guys won the US Open, uh, you both won the Australian Open and you're missing out on the French Open. Uh, Wimbledon is such a special tournament. Boris, you won three times, Stefan twice. Would you give one of your Wimbledon titles up for a French Open title so that you could have completed the career Grand Slam? Because I got a couple extra ones and I'll be very willing to share <laughs> it with you if you hand me a Wimbledon. But seriously, it's a serious question. Career Grand Slam is a massive milestone as a tennis player. But Wimbledon being the biggest tournament, I think, uh, in the world, would you have been willing to trade one of your Wimbledon's for a French Open bars? Well, I, my idol, and I hope one of these days we get him on, on this podcast as well. My grown up was Bjorn Borg, and, and he won Wimbledon five consecutive times. And he you know, really wanted to do what my big idol has done. So Wimbledon was always at the center of my attention. You know, in those days, on German television, they didn't really televise the French at the Open. And Wimbledon was the only one. So you were really influenced early on as a child. Uh, hence, Wimbledon became so so important. Uh, and and uh, answer your correction directly. Uh, three Wimbledons, uh, uh, absolutely. I would give you one. You give me one French. I'd have a Grand Slam career, and you too. So it's big. It's big. Stefan, yeah. would you would you? Uh, I mean, take away one of your Wimbledon titles because obviously uh, you were very close. You made the finals in 1989. Sure. Uh, lost to Michael Chang, which I'm sure still is is a painful memory, but. But again, Wimbledon, is it, is it, uh, mm. how special is it? Yeah, it's a tricky question, isn't it? It would be easy to give one away when you have three, you only have two. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. it, but it comes down to, I still have one left there. So it's a 50-50 call. Yeah, I probably would give maybe one away just to have the Grand Slam. 
winning all the four because that's very very unusual not everyone will do that um, but at the same time Wimbledon is so special to me you know just being walking into the ground just feeling the atmosphere you actually as a Wimbledon champion I always sort of feel part of the club this is sort of my home ground and they always make you so welcome when you come there. So it, it is so special during the event and even when you come there when the event is not on. But Stefan, mm. uh, why didn't we win on the clay? I mean, we were good all-round players and, and we were comfortable. And for some reason, you made the finals one year, made the semis a couple of times. So what, yeah. what is your explanation? I've been asked that question you know, for the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the questions I get asked. Why didn't you win that yeah. 1989 final? Uh, that's probably one of the most asked questions I get. And yes, I thought I would get another chance. And um, I think the tricky part, uh, I've always felt that I could play really well on the clay uh, for one week. But, you know, to do it for two weeks and hang in there, and especially the way I played serve and volley, it's quite demanding. Um, thinking back, maybe if I would have changed my game a little bit, being more a little bit more defensive, staying back a little bit, maybe that would have given me an opportunity. But it's 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 you're not going to win them all. That's just the way it is. I got one really yeah. big chance, um, but then and I really thought I would maybe get one more chance, but I never really got another chance. Mm -hmm. Guys, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a quick fire three questions here. Um, you guys, like I mentioned before, you, you made three finals against one another in a row, 88, 89, 90. Uh, Boris, I'm going to start with you, and you can answer this with one or two words. What's the strongest memory that you have from those three finals against Stefan? Uh, first of all, to play against the same guy three consecutive years, uh, uh, rare. Um, I felt that the 90 final was the best one. Uh, you know, I lost in 88, I won in 89, I felt 90 was really a chance for me, I was up a break in the fifth set, and the rest is history. Stefan won the last point. Stefan, for you, I know that in 1988, uh, we, the Swedes, managed to win all four Grand Slam titles, so thank you uh, to you for, for winning the elusive fourth one. What's the strongest memory for you when you think back to the three finals you played against Boris? Well, it has to be 1988. Boris, you already won twice. This was my first Wimbledon final, just being on the center court, walking out during a final. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't know whether we were going to play that final that day, and we only ended up playing five games, I think, and then we had to sleep over. Uh, and um, yeah, so that's the strongest memory. 89, Boris just came out and destroyed me, basically. Uh, had a little chance in the second set. But like you said, uh, in 1990, it turned out to be a final, which I felt I was in pretty much control. You got off to a slow start. Uh, but That's then, an understatement. Yeah, it's an understatement. As, as, but, you know, when, when you're as good as you are, uh, and you always feel you're always going to get a chance to get back into the match, uh, you took that chance in the third set. And, and, you know, a match can turn around in two minutes. That's how it happens. You got a little bit more confident. You win the third set. And then you sort of you got you got rolling won the fourth set. Then when you're in the final fifth set, anything can happen. Yeah. It's all square again. And uh, you, you had me down, you know, three one, I think, in the fifth or something. And what I, I was can trying to forget it. One, you, may, you may not want to talk about it, but I think you gave me the chance by missing an easy ball, and you gave me the break back, and suddenly yeah. the match turned around again. 
Describe how your feelings were going into playing Boris in a Wimbledon final. Was there fear? Uh, were you confident? Uh, worried about breaking his serve? What, what was your uh, inner feeling going on to the court playing Boris? Uh, well, it's always a great feeling going into a final. Uh, you know you're going to play the best opponent of the tournament. You know there's only two of us left. So you have a little bit of fear, you're a little bit of nervous. But at the same time, you have a lot of hope. You have a lot of confidence going into the final. Because once you reach the final, uh, truly everybody feels they have a chance to win. And I really felt, at least in 1988, I, I felt I had a chance. Uh, Boris probably was the favorite. 89 was different. I probably felt that I had a really good chance to win, but I didn't win this one. And back in 90, yeah, I thought it was all square, but I, I played really well in the 90, uh, the whole year. And uh, it was a big year for me. And we could have ended up playing for a fourth year in a row in 1991 when I lost the semifinal to Michael yeah. Stevens. That was probably the year that I played the best grass court tennis. Um, but, you know, Michael, he just had his tournament and mm -hmm. you know, he beat me in the semifinal and he beat you in the final. So, uh, so there could have been a fourth one. Now, what, what people sometimes forget, reaching a Wimbledon final is already a great achievement. You know, okay. I find it kind of, kind of rough today that, you know, you only talk about the winner and not, not about the, the loser of a Wimbledon final. You already won six matches, you've been in town for two and a half weeks, and you already feel good about yourself. And I think that's so true what you said, going on to any Wimbledon final. You already think this was a hell of a tournament. Obviously, you want the icing not the cake, but it's a really big success. Yeah, guys, I, I think that we're, we're uh, realizing here that you guys are, are still good friends. You are great competitors. You had a rivalry that people, people really uh, looked forward to because in, in, in people's eyes, your styles were a little bit similar, but somehow there was a contrast of personality, I think. So, so we've had Novak and Roger and Rafa, and they all have their own individual rivalries that, that are interesting depending on the surface. Uh, and so on, depending on what tournament they're playing. And w when these three guys are gone, is a rivalry what's going to sort of save our sport or stand out? I mean, how important is it to have a rivalry, whether it's the best players in the world or not? Boris, I'll start with you. I find rivalries are very important, not only for the players, but also for the tennis fans. You can really pick a side you know you have the same thing in football all those great rivalries in Germany and in England and and you know I thought it was important that you had a couple of years playing against the same opponent not even at Wimbledon but even you know other tournaments the Open Davis Cup final and so forth so I think it's important that you have a couple guys on top sustaining that form over years you know anybody can have a good year anybody can have a good tournament but very few can have a you know, quality in a career, three, four, six years, and then you, you want to play against the same because you build, you build, you know, something with that person. Mm. Stefan, you, uh, rivalry with Boris, huge. Um, yes. I had one with Ivan Lendl in, in five Grand Slam finals, but nothing compared to what we've seen in the last 15 years. Going forwards, is that what we have to be looking forward to? Is rivalries between some of these young players? Um, well, I, I agree what Boris says. Rivalries are very important for tennis, uh, but they take time to mature. And, and, and as we all know, over the last 10, 12 years, it's been three, four players dominating the game. Lately, three players. And if you look at the last couple of years, they won all the Grand Slams. Uh, 
so they've been incredible for the sport. But I've said it before, it would have been nice to have a new young winner while still Novak and Roger and Rafa is around. So you have some new winners coming. Because if they all leave at the same time, which they're not going to do that, but if, if one or two of them leave within a year or two, there's that, going to be someone of a gap, I feel. Uh, tennis is always strong, but it's probably going to take some time with these young players because you need to win a slam to start with. You maybe need to win or two, three, and then you sort of people start knowing about you. Uh, if you end up playing the same player in a couple of finals, that creates a lot of interest. So, so rivalries are important for the game and have always been. Which one of the young players you think is closest, you know? You know, team, Tsitsipas, uh, Medvedev, Zverev, who will say the younger ones is closest to overtake? Good question. I think uh, TM, uh, he showed he could have won the Australian Open this year very easily. Uh, that was a big chance for him. Um, he could have, you know, if, if Rafa wasn't there, he, I'm sure he's, he's going to win the French Open one day. He's probably the closest one today, mm -hmm. I would say, but at the same time, Sverev has shown a lot of potential, uh, sort of lost track a little bit, but it doesn't take much to get back on the right track again. Sitsipa has uh, shown some, uh, so, so what he can do. He's definitely knocking on the door as well. Um, you probably can name a few others, but mm -hmm. TM, I would say at the moment, but it can all change because this is going to be very different now because what uh, we've been going through around the world here with COVID and uh, it's going to be sort of a new start here in many ways because everybody's had a lot of time off. A lot of people have not been used to have time off. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so there could be some opportunities here for, for young players, for new players, uh, because it's going to be so different. Um, just imagine one tennis starts coming back. There's going to be no people in the crowd. And, uh, it's going to be quiet and it's going to be so different. So um, uh, it'd be very interesting once mm -hmm. tennis gets started again. Yeah, um, guys, I've, I gotta tell you that uh, you have inspired uh, the great Roger Federer. He's famously said that he watched the three finals. Uh, when I watch Roger Federer play, he's got the grace and finesse of you, Stefan. He moves like you. He's now learned how to volley uh, very, very exceptionally well. Maybe the best volleyer on tour. But Boris, he also has some of your game, which is a huge forehand, hits the ball really hard. Um, for, for you guys, when you see Roger play, do you see part of yourself in him, Stefan? Um, yeah, maybe parts of it. He probably picked the best from Boris me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why he's <laughs> such a great player. And, um, you know, like I said, Roger, he's, he looks so easy when he plays. He flows around the court. He's got grace. He's got powers. He's got touch. Uh, he's got everything that you wish for. He's almost the perfect tennis player, as I see it, uh, both on and off court. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's very special, like we all know. And, and you actually became his, his super coach in 2013. <laughs> when, I, you know, when Novak asked me to be on his corner, you know, yeah. I, I heard the news that Stefan Edberg is the new super coach of Roger Federer. How did that come about? And, and how were those tennis discussions? I'd love to be a fly on the wall when Stefan talked to Roger about tennis. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, was, it was a great two years. And uh, obviously, it was an honor to be asked for Roger. It took me some time to decide. And 
you actually spend a week in Dubai just to know each other and get get to know each other before mm -hmm. going on the tour. But to summarize the things, uh, it was great to be around Roger. He's such an ambassador for tennis. And obviously, yes, we talk about tennis, about strategy. And obviously, he, he wanted to change his game. Uh, and that may be part of the reason why he took in me to get a few ideas. He knows so much about tennis. So there's only so much you can sort of uh, learn him because he knows pretty much everything on the court but it's it's uh, it's just to get somebody else who's been in the same position as being in finals and trying to change the game once you get older you need maybe to change your game and, and that's how we worked a lot on you know i think the great thing looking back he switched racket to more of a modern racket that was really key he changed his game a little bit, his movement um, got a little bit more aggressive, which I think he needed to do. So it worked out very well, but um, it was good to be around. I think that we on the outside, Stefan, we could, we could uh, understand why Roger asked you to help him because we all thought that he could learn how to volley a little bit better, come to the net, maybe that's what he needs to beat Rafa. But then along comes Boris, you being asked by Novak. And you helped Novak a tremendous amount, even though your styles weren't exactly the same. I think what you guys have in common is that, Stefan, while you helped the greatest player of all time, which still is Roger Federer, I think Novak is the player that we talk about the most in having a chance to become the greatest player before he's finished in his career. So, Boris, tell us, what was it about Novak that you thought or you could help him with? I would start with mentality. Uh, you know, Stefan has a, a mind of a champion, and, and I won a couple as well, and so did you, Mats. And you know, it, it's ultimately it's about attitude and, and how you approach big matches. And he had a streak where he lost a couple of big finals to Rafa and, and to Roger, so he was mentally down. I thought his court positioning was a little off. I thought his his whole approach was a bit too passive, too defensive. He let these guys overtake him. And, and, and top guys do that. So it was a whole package. But I remember the very first Wimbledon final, I was on the sideline. And, and obviously, Novak and, and Roger were big rivals. And they weren't speaking Stefan and me right before the match, shaking hands and having small talk. And even after the match. So it was a very odd atmosphere in the locker room when you had two guys in the corner and looking at each other. And Stefan and me chatting like it's a, it's a walk in the park. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, I mean, I would love to hear you guys take it on. And, and Boris, we're going to try something that we never tried. Boris, you're going to be Novak. Stefan, you're going to be Roger. Uh, and I'd uh, like to hear Boris because I think you uh, um, are uh, more experienced in the TV entertainment world these days working for Eurosport. So you were Novak. You're free to say whatever you want to Roger, who now is Stefan. How are you going to take down Stefan or Roger in this upcoming match uh, that could be the 2021 Wimbledon final? Boris, take Stefan down in the locker room. Get to him. Talk to him. First of all, you can't play against Roger and the crowd. Expect the whole stadium to be against you. Don't take it personal. They, they support the greatest player of all time. So, point number one. Number two, make him move open him up on the forehand side and then get to the backhand. Be the first one to open it. Be the, the first one that starts the rally. 
on the return, which is your best shot. Be aggressive. Take a couple of chances on his second serve because once you start attacking the second serve, the first serve goes away. And then finish what you started. Stefan, you answer that with what? Yeah, this, this is going to be very tricky. Uh, you know, playing against uh, uh, Nova uh, Djokovic is, 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 is going to be a very tough task because you're going to have to be prepared to be out there for a long time and you've got to be patient. Uh, you're going to have to mix up the game uh, and be aggressive at times and be defensive at times. And uh, you need to stay ahead of him if possible uh, because once he gets in the lead, he's very tough. Uh, and I think the key for many of these big matches is to win the first set. So you got to win the first set. Yeah, yeah uh, always, always, of course. This year, guys, we have the It's an unbelievable fact that I think pretty much all the matches between Roger and, and Novak, almost 50, maybe more, whoever won the first set won the match. I mean, what a statistic. It and is, that goes over be. 10 or 12 years. Whoever wins the first set wins the match between those two. Yeah, no. I mean, unbelievable. I think that this year is uh, the 40th anniversary of what people are calling the greatest tennis match uh, of all time, which, of course, is Bjorn Borg against John McEnroe, 1980 final. You guys had a, a, a classic in 1990, of course. Uh, that's maybe your best final. 2008 final between Roger and Rafa uh, has gone down as maybe the most intriguing and, and the quality. But, but personally, I think the level of last year's final between Roger and Novak was at a, at a level that I cannot even understand how you can play like that on the grass court. So for you two, big serve and volleyers, how do you describe the tennis that you witnessed in last year's final between Roger and Novak? Because me, I don't get it. How can you play tennis like that, Boris, on a grass court? Well, I, I was I was honored to to you know, do the commentary on that match for the five hours, and uh, I you know going into I always felt that Novak was you know defend defend champion. He was a couple of years younger. It was a hot day. Roger already had a tough draw with you know a long match with Rafa. So I felt Novak was the favorite, but Roger just played him out of the park, and he was the better player. He lost that match, and you're absolutely right. These guys exchange shots uh, uh, that I didn't think was possible over such a long period. So I would call last year's final the best ever. Stefan, you obviously watched it. Uh, what, did you, what, what were your feelings of that whole thing when Roger had two match points and, in a row and then he had a couple more, didn't win? I mean, what, what, what was going through your mind during that match? Uh, it, was, it was an incredible match to watch. He had everything. And like uh, Boris said, it's probably the best tennis match I've played uh, that I've seen. Uh, the quality of the tennis from the first point to the last point is just incredible, and um, and and I and I felt for Roger. I think he might have been the better player in that match. He had it all set up to match points, 40-15. Uh, you wouldn't think he would lose from there, but he did. So, me being a friend with Roger, it was heartbreaking to lose, but you got to give it to Novak as well who came out of that match as a winner, which is quite incredible. Um, and it was an astonishing match. And uh, the best quality by far, um, looking back, 80 final with Borg, Macro is a classic one, which I watched when I was young. So that's always going to be very classic. But quality-wise, and the best final I watched was last year's final.
Yeah, we couldn't agree more. And that's why we're going to miss Wimbledon so much, guys, uh, this year. But we're, they will be back, and we will be back too. So, Stefan, first of all, great to see you. Thank you so much for being part of the Tennis Legends vodcast. Now we really are uh, legendary. Uh, so thank you so much. Give my best to everyone. Boris, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, we will see you soon again, and hopefully out traveling around the world and uh, following these Grand Slams for Eurosport. So, Boris, Stefan, thank you, and we will see you soon. Be safe and stay healthy. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, Boris. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, we will be back soon. Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.